Hey, Trish, how long have we been married? 41 years? Feels like 41. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Trish and I uh been married over 40 years, according to Trish. And... Uh, and uh, we met in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. That's where she's from, and and uh, I was stationed in the uh, Coast Guard there. And uh, we loved uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, quite a bit. And one of our one of our favorite pastimes was uh, saltwater fishing. We would fish in the bay. There was a local, a big old bay there. And then uh, on occasion, we would also go out to the, to the Gulf Coast, out there on the beach, Padre Island, and uh, cast out the surf rods and, and, uh, and fish for whatever was out there. There was also two big, big, big rock jetties that would jet out into the, to the, to the Gulf, and we would often uh, uh, fish uh, out there. Now, Tricia's parents lived in Corpus Christi. Uh, my parents lived a couple hours away uh, near near Lake Livingston, uh, and I, I say Lake Livingston because uh, my father liked to fish as well. He was a bass fisherman. He had yeah yeah he had a bass boat and you know and he he wore the the bass pro shop uh, you know caps and. And there were these Bass Pro Shop magazines uh, around the house, and he even he even manufactured his own bass rods. Yeah, so uh, he he loved uh, he loved bass fishing. One uh, one weekend, uh, my parents came down from where they lived uh, to visit Trish and I, and my dad wanted to go fishing with me. And he wanted to go fishing off the jetties out there in the Gulf. Now, I had, I had special rods for that. They were, they were hefty rods because you never know what, to, what you're going to catch out there. So they were, they were made for this kind of surf fishing. My dad, this bass fisherman, decided that he didn't need a special rod and reel combo setup. He would use his bass rod to uh, to catch whatever we might catch out there. I tried to tell my father, Dad, that's that's not a good idea. Uh, there's some pretty strong fish out there, and and I just don't think your bass rod is going to hold up to to what we might you might hook into out there. Well, he disagreed with me. So we went fishing out there on the jetty. I, I still see this, 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 vivid, this vivid video in my head. My dad was a chain smoker, always had a cigarette kind of hanging out of his mouth. And we're out there and we bait our hooks and, and uh, he, we cast our lines out there off the jetties. It wasn't too long. For something uh, took my dad's bait. It took it hard, and it took it fast. 
so hard and so fast, all I remember hearing was a snap. And I look over at my dad, who's got a cigarette dangling from his mouth. (laughs) And he's standing there at the end of the jetty with nothing but a a handle. A a handle to a fishing rod. That was it. (laughs) No reel, no rod, just a handle. And no words either. (laughs) Just a cigarette hanging from his mouth. It, it was, uh, yeah, that it was. <laughs> it was. It was such. It was such. Uh, you know, who, who would have known that it would be a sermon illustration, right? Uh, but my dad, you know, he he just he, he just wouldn't. He just didn't listen. I, I tried, but he just he just didn't listen. He thought he he knew better. He thought he had a, a handle on the situation. <laughs> That's right. And at the end, all he had was a handle. <laughs> a fishing rod handle. That was all. And it's been said, a, a, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day of work. Uh, I don't know if that's always the case. I, I'm not entirely sure. But at least, I, at least... I got to share that experience with my dad. I guess that's what makes it good and funny. Last week, we, we looked at Christmas from the eyes of the shepherds. And if you recall, surprisingly, they were chosen to be the very first to hear the good news that a Savior was born. I say surprisingly because the shepherds were outcasts. Considered to be no good by those who claimed to be good. And yet the shepherds, the last to be chosen by men, were the first to be chosen by God to hear the good news. In this birth announcement, the angel told them that this good news would bring great joy and it was for all people. This good news was good for everybody because everybody, without exception, needed a Savior. It's good news for all. But today, for some people, For some reason, the good news doesn't seem all that good. As I mentioned last week, maybe the original good news that was given by the angel and later by Jesus has been so distorted and so twisted that it no longer appears to be good for 
all people. Rather, just some people. Maybe people just don't understand the good news that was given to us. Maybe that's it. Maybe people are relying on their own idea of the good news. Their own version of it. A version to excuse their behavior. And the good news is no longer that good. That happens. That happens. But maybe the good news is only good when we realize we are not so good. And in some respects, that is the underlying message of Christmas. In his quote from the book, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, which is a collection of Christmas writings from, from various authors, Tim Keller says, Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else. Because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. I like that. And Keller is absolutely right. The good news is really good when we realize we're not so good. And that's what I want to explore with you a little bit this morning. I want to share another fishing story. This time from the Gospel of Luke which is the third out of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Luke was not one of the original disciples. He was not an apostle. He was a physician, thought to be Greek, not Jewish. A very smart guy in his time. And he set out to carefully and accurately and thoroughly investigate the story of Jesus. He wanted to know the story inside and out. And like Paul Harvey, he wanted to know the rest of the story as well. Luke left no stone Unturned, And he wrote it all down, so much so that after he wrote his gospel and the book of Acts, by volume, by the sheer number of words, it is Luke who wrote most of the New Testament. Not Paul, as many commonly think. 
So the story I'm about to read is a thoroughly investigated story. A real story with real people in a real place at a real time. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. And we will begin with verse 1. And I'm going to read the entire story uh, to you at the onset. Is it up behind me? Okay. Here we go. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, referring to Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, both of the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This story takes place along the the banks of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus is teaching. People had gathered to hear him speak, for he did not speak like the other teachers. And if you think about it, how could anyone speak like Jesus? He's the Son of God. And Luke tells us that the people were listening to the Word of God. It wasn't being taught to them like I may teach you. For little did they know, they were hearing God who took on a body 
of flesh. Speak to them. Jesus was speaking. Therefore, his words were the word of God. Luke continues and says that Jesus Jesus noticed two boats. And he saw fishermen washing and mending their nets. Now these nets were large drag nets that were used for fishing at night. And in the morning, they, they cleaned their nets, picked out seaweed and other things, and let the nets dry in the sun. Then they would roll them up and put them back in their boat to be ready for the next night of fishing. It was time-consuming work. Made more difficult and made more frustrating this time because they caught nothing the night before. Anyway, I think it is fair to assume that while Jesus was teaching the crowd, Peter and Andrew, James and John, who were mending their nets nearby, were listening. Well, there was a problem. As the crowds got larger and larger and pushed and pushed to get closer to Jesus, pretty soon Jesus was being pushed into the water. I guess Jesus didn't want to walk on water at this point in time. It wasn't the time to do this. So he asked Peter to take him out into a boat just offshore so he could have some space to continue to speak to the people. Both Jesus and Peter are in the boat. And we can assume that Peter is still listening to Jesus as he is speaking. When Jesus finished speaking to the crowd, he tells Peter to take him fishing. Jesus tells Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now this was really inconvenient for Peter because he had already cleaned and dried his nets from the last night's fishing. And secondly, fishing is done at night because fish come up during the evening to feed when the water is not so warm. They had been fishing all night. Fishing when fishing is supposed to be good. And they caught absolutely nothing. And now Jesus, a carpenter, is telling this professional fisherman, a guy who's been fishing all his life, who knows this sea like the back of his hand, a charter member of Cabela's, (laughs) to go fishing when you're not supposed to go fishing. But Peter, who has been listening to Jesus speak, and obviously has some respect for him, because Jesus had previously healed his mother-in-law. 
agrees to row out farther into deeper water to take Jesus fishing. And guess what? Sure enough, they start catching fish. A massive number of fish. So much fish that the nets start to break. It's so unbelievable, so unexpected, so crazy that Peter has to yell for his fishing partners, James and John, to bring out their boat to help. And as they are pulling fish into their boats, their boats began to sink because of all the weight. Now I want to stop here for a moment. Jesus told Peter to row out to the deeper water. Go out to the deeper water. If you think about the ministry of Jesus with his disciples, they literally found themselves in deeper water on a few occasions. I recall a time when Jesus calmed a terrible storm while they were in deep water. I remember when Jesus was walking on top of deep water. And each time these deep water experiences revealed something about Jesus and they revealed something about the disciples. I think that's why the Lord will take us into deeper water where we are in way in over our heads to teach us something. And that's what I see going on here. For in the middle of all this craziness in the deep water, something happens. Peter falls down at his at the feet of Jesus and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Jesus knows how to meet people right where they are. And this experience with the fish went right to the core of this fisherman. Healing your mother-in-law is one thing. No offense to mother-in-laws. But for Peter, this really hit home. For Jesus rules the fish of the sea. He knows where the fish are and he has the power to gather them together and bring them to the nets. I'm sure Peter had heard numerous fish stories over the years and maybe even told a few himself. But nothing like this had ever happened before to anyone on those waters. This wasn't another fish story 
This was as real as it gets for Peter. And in that moment, something happened where it was no longer about fish. In that moment, Peter got a glimpse of who Jesus really was. And also in that moment, Peter came to a realization of who he truly was. In that deep water experience with God in his boat, Peter sees himself in a way he has not seen himself before. It's too much to take in. And so Peter says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord. It wasn't that Peter was trying to get rid of Jesus. I mean, where could they go? They're in a boat. But rather, Peter was crushed with the realization of his own unworthiness. For to see Jesus as he really is forced Peter and us as well to see ourselves as we truly are. And we're not so good. Peter is overwhelmed and says, I am a sinful man. Peter did not confess a particular sin. He did the right thing by taking Jesus fishing. But in the presence of God, he became aware of his own sinful nature. In contrast to Jesus, in contrast to Jesus, Peter became painfully aware of just how sinful he truly was in the deep water. But Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid. It's interesting that Jesus seems to ignore Peter's confession about his unworthiness and his sinfulness. Jesus knows the truth about Peter. In fact, he knows Peter better than Peter knows Peter. And Jesus could have said, You are so sinful that one day you will deny you ever even knew me. That's how sinful you are, Peter. But Jesus did not do that. Because at that point in the deep water, what mattered was what Peter knew about Peter. The truth was, his goodness wasn't so good. And that is true for every one of us. The goodness of the good news comes from realizing we are not so good. And the Apostle Paul speaks to this very truth in his letter to the Romans. 
In Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, Paul says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. There is no one, not even one, who is good. Now you might say, Pastor, that's not true. For I know some good people. Right? I know some good people. Let me explain it this way. Our goodness is like a canoe. It's like a canoe. A canoe may work in a stream. It may work in a pond. But it's useless in the middle of the ocean. Likewise, our goodness may work in this life. But it will not get you to the next. It will not get you to heaven. In other words, our goodness is not good enough when it comes to eternal life. From God's point of view, according to His standards, not ours, there are none who are good. And if you are still fuzzy about this, Paul makes his point crystal clear in verse 23. And he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means what? All. We are all in the exact same boat. We all fall short and we are unable to save ourselves and that's why Jesus came. Paul continues in verse 24 and he says, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. By God's grace, we are justified, declared righteous, made right with God only by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves and our goodness is not good enough. We could never get to heaven on our own. So God had to come to us and that's why the birth of Jesus 
was good news of great joy because God knows we all fall short. We have all been sentenced to death for our sin. But Jesus took that penalty of death for us. Upon himself paid our sin debt in full. And out of his great love for us, he offers to those who will accept it by faith the free gift of eternal life. And it all begins when just like Peter, we realize we're not so good. Evangelist Billy Graham passed away on February 21st, 2018. And at his memorial service, his daughter Ruth shared the following story about her father. She said, After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. My husband had betrayed me at the deepest levels. I understood I had biblical grounds for divorce, but I did not want to be divorced. I did not want to hurt or displease God in any way. My family thought it would be a good idea for me to move away from the Shenandoah Valley. To get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live in Florida near my older sister Gigi and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower. And we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him. But I thought, they're almost grown. And my children can't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. 
I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to talk to my mother and my father. On my way to Montreat, I stopped and picked up my daughter, Windsor, from boarding school. I felt wrecked. I was coming home with my life in pieces. Shame weighed me down. I dreaded having to meet my parents' gaze. I didn't think I could handle whatever their eyes might communicate. I wanted to run and hide. But I could not. I had nowhere else to go. I could not undo my mistake. I knew I had to face it. I felt unworthy to go home. But I needed my parents. I look back now, overwhelmed by God's tenderness and timing. For it was at this, my darkest hour, that God stepped in with one of his most powerful metaphors in my life. My father was not God. But he showed me what God is like that day. I am so grateful God accepts me as I am. Hurting, wounded, broken. It was a two-hour drive to Montreat. Questions whirled in my mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to Mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway. And my father was standing there waiting for me. My father, who had every reason to rebuke, wrapped his strong arms around me, pulled me into a warm embrace, and greeted me with these simple words. Welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation. Just unconditional love. 
My father's embrace at that moment was one of the most powerful and profound gestures of acceptance I have ever experienced. To be utterly broken and still accepted. To feel ugly and yet be loved. To feel like an outcast and still be welcomed. I marveled at the contrast between my heart, full of shame and regret, and my father's so full of love. I must have felt many things at once in his arms. Shock, relief, gratitude, safety, disbelief. One thing I most definitely felt was shattered. And through his embrace, my father let me know I had permission to feel that way. He was not condemning me. No defense or explanation was required. My father was not God. But he showed me what God is like that day. His one act of grace changed my life and informed who I am. I am so grateful God accepts me as I am. Hurting, wounded, broken. I am glad He chooses me to be part of His family, regardless of my past mistakes and sins. He wants me. He cares about me. His arms are open to me at all times. Even when I am in ruins... God stands watching the road, eager for me to come to Him. God doesn't stop at ruin. It's where He begins. I like that. God doesn't stop at ruin. It's where He begins. And brokenness is a qualification for service to Him. God does not hold in His hand a list of my failures. He's not waiting to judge me. He is waiting to be with me. He's waiting to embrace me and welcome me home. And that invitation is open for you. End quote. The good news of God's love and forgiveness and acceptance is really good when we realize we're not so good. It's really good when we come to understand that we are broken and wrecked and sinful, desperate for a Savior. And that's what Christmas is all about. God sent us 
a Savior. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for telling it like it is. Thank you for being honest with us. And we are not good. But we are made right. We are made righteous. We are made holy in Jesus Christ whom you sent. He is our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I pray, Lord God, that you would just you would just draw us to you. Especially when we're broken. Especially when we fail. Father, draw us to you and help us to experience your love and your forgiveness and your acceptance. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. This message was kind of a downer, wasn't it? Not really, not really festive. Not not a, a Christmas festive type message, right? I'll be I'll be honest with that. But it's the truth, isn't it? Festive or not, it is the truth. For some, for some. Christmas is all about a baby born in a manger. And it's true, absolutely. But you cannot separate the manger from the cross. That's why the baby was sent. What what was good news for us terrible news for him. He would go to a cross. That's why God sent him in the first place. Because we were sinful and needed a Savior. And we cannot look past that at Christmas. That's why he came. To deal with our sin. It's more than just a baby in a manger. It's more than just a little life here. little life in a baby. Years later, that little baby would be hanging on a cross for you and me. That's why he came. That's why he came. And we will never come to Christ until we first acknowledge or recognize we have a need. For Christ. Makes sense, right? Why would we need a Savior if we don't recognize the need for a Savior? And that begins with with realizing that we are not so good. It may be good in this life, it may work in this life, but it will not get you to the next.
that make sense? So yeah, this wasn't a festive Christmas message. But it was the truth. It is the truth. We cannot separate the manger from the cross. Cannot do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Boy, He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we can be made right with him. We can be justified, declared righteous, declared not guilty because of the finished work of Christ. And the crazy thing is, it is free. (laughs) We can freely accept his gift of salvation. It is free. It cost him everything. Everything. And it is free to us. And he did it out of love. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would love to lead you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe this is your maybe this is what you want to call home. Let me know. Come up and let me know. I'll present you to the church. We'll settle it right here and now. We'll settle it here and now. Or maybe there's something else. Maybe you feel broken. Maybe you've failed. You just don't know how to deal with it. I know who does. However the Lord leads you this morning, I just, I just uh, would ask you to be obedient to Him. Just do what He asks you to do. Peter didn't want to go fishing, did he? He didn't want to go fishing. Made no sense. But what did he do? He took Jesus fishing and it changed his life. We don't even know what hangs in the balance to trust and obey Jesus. We have no idea. So if Jesus says, take him fishing, you take him fishing. (laughs) If Jesus moves in your heart a certain way this morning, just obey him. You don't know what's at stake. You don't know what hangs in the balance. But it's the right thing to do. Trust and obey him. Thank you for being here this morning. Let me pray for our, uh, for our offering. Just remind you, our offering baskets are back there. And also I'll pray for our, our fellowship uh, afterwards. Father, I thank you for, for drawing us here today. Lord, I pray that, uh, that, that the words that uh, were spoken this morning will just resonate with people, Lord God, and that, uh, that they will uh, have an impact outside this building. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to, to, uh, to give to uh, uh, this church and through tithes and offerings. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, bless the gift, bless the giver, 
Father, as a church, help us to use your money wisely. And then, Father, for our fellowship afterwards, Heavenly Father, I pray that it would just be an awesome time together, a time of just, uh, just good fellowship. And, Father, I pray that you bless the food uh, to our bodies. Bless those who have brought food and, and prepared food. And, Lord God, again, just use this time. I pray it would be a sweet time. In Jesus' name, amen.